Hi, you're listening to A Curious Christian, a podcast that explores the ways in which we think to inform the decisions that we make in a disruptive and unpredictable world. The Christian faith should be full of questions, not fear questions. Each episode is infused with a curiosity that asks what's next, what not, what if, what about, what's that, who, when, and most especially, why. Curiosity that has at its heart a longing for truth in all its freshness and beauty. Curiosity has its own reason for existence. On this second part of our very special podcast of Change Serving Humanity, our guests Olin and Danae Netterberg tell us a little bit more about their experiences in Chad, where they serve the community that they live in, and the curious nature of what happens in this fascinating place. It's interesting to hear about the work that you do, Danae, with the fistula patients. Um, I remember reading about Catherine Hamlin. I, I don't know if you're aware of her work. She's a really famous OBGYN from Australia that worked in Ethiopia, was in the same kind of field as yourself, working with a lot of women with fistulas and doing some really life-changing things. Uh, but what strikes me about your story and hers is that both of you seem to be driven towards humanitarianism from a place of faith. Uh, and I wonder for our listeners out there today, some of them come from a belief system and some of them are free thinkers or atheists and not necessarily subscribe subscribers to a particular profession of faith. Um, can humanitarianism be separate from faith? Or does it take some kind of power outside of yourself to be able to propel you both to something that really sounds like it's been a life of sacrifice, rewarding, but yet a tremendous sacrifice uh, for your entire family? Yeah, well, this is something that is definitely passionate about me. Being a, a OBGYN, I'm all for women's rights and living in Chad, that's one of the worst countries in the world, in the world to be a woman. And mm -hmm. So going through labor and delivery, if you don't die from that and you make it through that, sometimes there's a complication, like you said, of vesicovaginal fistulas. And what that is, it's a hole between your bladder and your vagina where the tissue dies. And so the urine just leaks out constantly. And so unfortunately, these women, if they happen to have the benefit of going through this terrible birth experience, their baby often dies, then they have this stigma of smelling like urine for the rest of their life until, unless they can get fixed. Um, and their husband often leaves them. They don't have a job because nobody wants to be around them. Um, oftentimes they're, they're very poor, so they can't even buy enough clothes to be able to keep their clothes washed from smelling like urine. So it's just a terrible state to be in. Um, so I had the um, fortunate experience to learn how to do these. And um, it's really something amazing to watch these women who come in, they have no idea if anybody can fix them. And I do an exam and I'm like, oh, wow, this is, I know I can fix this one. And I believe it's through God's help teaching us how to do it. Um, and it's just an amazing thing to be able to connect with these women and share through their experience and to be able to be a, a part of that, to 
help change them um, to be able to come to a better way of life and to show them that somebody cares. So for me, I feel like um, we do believe in God and we believe that he is helping us to help transform their lives. And so to be able to do that is just really something special. I, I certainly know a lot of people who have done great things that maybe believe differently than I do. Uh, maybe they worked with Doctors Without Borders or the uh, American Peace Corps or so, some other way they're trying to make the world better, maybe teaching medical specialists or working in refugee camps, whatever they might be doing. They have that sense of, of altruism. But like Danae said, we, we come from a slightly different background and understanding. And I guess for me, if I was in that situation, I would just be very cynical. Like, what am I, what am I doing this for? And so those people are very strong. I, I admire folks like that very, very much. Uh, I think if I didn't have a belief in, in a more long lasting sort of beyond this world implication in what I was doing, I don't know if I would still be in chat. I think I probably would have left by now. So I really do tip my hat to the people who maybe don't believe and go out and work like this. They have maybe more, more courage or more altruism than I might. But for me, it makes all the difference um, as to what my intentions and my goals uh, might be. So just to build on what you're saying here. So I'm hearing this, there's a tension. So as you know, in many areas around the world, including medical schools in America, there's this discussion about resilience and the concept of physician burnout. And, and people talk about the fact that residents are working long hours, uh, training excessively, and are really having their well-being eroded. And this, we're talking in a high, you know, rich, westernized country where there are the necessities of life here. You're describing a different type of resilience that you're trying that you're developing over time right you're on call you're talking about the almost the emotional burden and the, the the mental strain of having to be available to care for your family but also for anyone who turns up on your doorstep at any given time of the day i wonder whether when you put these things together can you give us some examples or stories or or indications where your faith has enabled that resilience to be built in different ways there are many ways that people build resilience so they talk about you know for example some people practice mindfulness some people do yoga some people do some sort of behavioral therapy that helps them some people say well i exercise and i run marathons to help to build my resilience but i'm curious that when you're ministering to others where in a society where everything is so stripped down to the bare bones of what you need to be sustained you don't have that luxury to build resilience. There's no such thing as classes to teach you to be, you know, to deal with stress. So there's no such thing as psychologists to, to be seen to help you with, with the issues that you may be going through while those things may be good. So I'm wondering how your faith has helped to build that resilience in a society where there's nothing available almost for anyone to, to engage in that space. So for us, um, we rely heavily on our relationship with God, and we believe it's a personal thing. So it's not something like, oh, we believe in that, but, but we believe that he can communicate, our God can communicate with us on a daily basis. So we pray to him and then try and listen. It's, you know, it's not voodoo, but sometimes you try and figure out exactly how are you listening to God? How is he speaking to you? And oftentimes, um, you know, you talk about us being stressed at the end of our rope sometimes being on call all the time oftentimes it's when I'm in that situation let's say I'm at the hospital I had a really stressful 
um, patient that was in the operating room, they almost died. You know, you, you're really stressed out. And then I really feel like God speaks to us through other people. And oftentimes that's even through our patients. So there's been, there was this one occasion where I had this patient that one mother actually died. And then we had to do another C-section and it was a really stressful time for me because you know, you can't think about the death that just happened. You have to keep going. And so we were up the whole night and then we saw patients the next day. And I had this one patient that come back, that came back who I was trying to figure out like why she was there. And she had had a, her fistula repaired. And I was like, oh no, it's probably broken. Like, you know, you're really tired. You're kind of thinking negatively. And she actually just came back because her husband wanted her to work. And it had been like a year or something like it had been such a long time that I was like, why is she coming today? Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, I really feel like God sent her to me because like, why else would she have come? It wasn't like a follow-up visit that I was like, come back in a week or anything. It was kind of, mm -hmm. she was coming back to say thank you to me, even though she didn't even really know it. She was coming back for, for me to be able to tell her that after a year of not doing anything, cause sometimes a lot of work can put a lot of strain on your repair um, so she was coming back to ask about that, but also to say thank you. And it was just at a, such an awkward time that I was like, what in the world is this lady here for? And it was almost like about ready to drive me over the edge. And then I was like, oh, this was just somebody coming back to, it was, I feel like it was God working through her to be able to tell me like, you know, your work is important and I appreciate you. And I don't know, I just feel like God speaks to us through other people and different experiences that we have. When I'm stressed, I just kick the dog. <laughs> no, we, we don't abuse animals. Um, Sometimes, but not on purpose, because we don't have a good vet. <laughs> I guess I would say that, yeah, I, I do lean pretty heavily on my faith when I'm when I'm stressed. Um, and it, so in the in the Bible, there's this passage in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, if I can remember it. Uh, it says, it's Jesus talking, and he says, Come to me, everybody who's working hard and really tired. Uh, and the, I mean, the fancy flowery language is come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and gentle of heart, mm -hmm. uh, and you will find rest for your soul. And so I think when, it, when my soul feels like it needs rest, I feel like I can go to Jesus and and he can kind of do the work for me and he can give me that rest. And that is a comfort. But what's when we talk about spiritual things, I know um, maybe Australia is, is a different culture from America, but it still is a very different culture from Chad. In Chad, there's no such thing as an atheist. Uh, officially, it's 35% Christian and 65% Muslim, but it's really 100% animist. Uh, everybody believes in something. And it seems like when your existence is stripped so bare to where you really are starting out every day wondering how you're going to eat that day, how you're going to feed your family. I mean, nobody owns a refrigerator. It's it, That's truly a, a daily struggle for most people where we live. People do, and you can feel about this however you want to, but people do rely on a higher power every day. And often it, it exhibits itself in fear. And sadly, our, our culture where we live in Chad is, is often very fearful. And they often live out of fear and make decisions out of fear. 
And there's a lot of witch doctors. Uh, you know, if you have a cough, then you go and they'll cut off a chicken foot and scratch you on the on the ribs with your chicken foot to fix you to fix your empyema or whatever you have that's actually going on. We we've come across this time and time again. Uh, we had a boy who uh, we operated on because we don't have a CAT scan or anything else. And we found that his belly was just full of tumor burden. Uh, we couldn't fix him. So we, we stitched him up and sent him home essentially to die because there's not anything in the country that can happen for him. When they got back, they ended up taking a neighbor to the, to the court uh, claiming that she had put a spell on him. And that was the cause of all of this tumor that we found in his abdomen. Um, and we see time and time again what appears to us to be a, a clear supernatural wrestling going on behind a very thin veil between uh, maybe our world and the next world. And that might sound very odd and bizarre and out there for people that haven't uh, lived where we live, but where we are, it just seems like there's no, there's no denying a, a higher power. Uh, and I know not everybody agrees with me and, that, and that's fine, but it, it seems very in your face where we are. Mm -hmm. And to me, I mean, we, we interact with a lot of missionaries from other denominations. We interact with a lot of Muslims and yeah, it's, we're, we're happy to serve anybody who's in front of us. You know, when we're serving them, when we're, when we're treating their illness, uh, we don't care what their spiritual background is. We want to treat their illness and then maybe if they, if they want, if they bring it up, if they want it addressed, we can share with them a little bit about what we believe to try to bring them some peace and some comfort and some, and some joy in a life that can be really challenging. We've often had our kids at one point or another, each one of our kids, we've thought they were going to die over there. And that sounds very sobering, but it's, there's different reasons. So for Zane, he had malaria several times. We watched as he turned blue in front of our face and he, had he a seizure. Sees, yeah. And um, before we came, actually, one missionary um, child had died. And then after we had been there six months, another missionary child actually died from malaria. So and those I mean, those those were American children that died in our hospital. So our Let's see, Lyle, we, we, we were at the river and we actually thought maybe he had drowned because we couldn't find him for a few minutes. And Addison, she had really severe diarrhea, it was bloody. We were traveling, um, it, another really bad I mean, situation. She was, she was two years old and completely lethargic. I mean, she couldn't even moan. And then Juniper, um, she's been probably the easiest she, child. But she had malaria at like, two months old. She yeah, was she had a lot of malaria when she was less pretty than much, a year old. Pretty much out of it. So anyways, I say all of this because um, it, it's not easy to raise your kids in Chad, uh, even though and we don't think that just because, you know, we believe in God that our kids are going to be protected. I mean, we do believe that they are protected and we believe that God is watching them and protecting them um, from many things that we don't even know about. But just because we trust in God doesn't mean that our kids aren't going to die, you know? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. We still put our, we still believe that it's the place we're supposed to be. And we did actually get a lot of judgment. So even sharing with you, I'm a little hesitant because we have gotten a little, a lot of judgment in the past because we have a blog and different people have read that. And so we've gotten some anonymous posts. We think maybe from family, I don't know, saying, isn't it time to come home? 
So, you know, we have all these discussions and we realize people do judge us for being over there because how could you put your kids in a place like this? Um, but at the same time, um, you know, there's dangers all over the world. There's dangers in America, there's dangers in Australia, there's dangers in other countries too. Um, so saying all of that, um, we still somehow have peace in it all because we feel like mm -hmm. it's where we're supposed to be. Um, but at the same time, knowing we have peace doesn't mean that we're not without difficulties. Mm. Um, so sometimes we'll put on Facebook different posts, like our, our kid is sick or something. And, and we, we're even we more, don't, we don't do that anymore. We're more hesitant yeah. to do that just because mm. of some people kind of judge us, but um, sometimes we do. And, and some people are like, oh, well, you're good people or God, you know, God's helping you. We're praying for you. So everything's going to be fine. And we realize that everything is not always fine all of the time. Um, mm -hmm. but at the same time, we still have peace in that. Um, if, if that makes sense. But the, the flip side of it is, so it's really horrible raising kids in Chad when they have malaria, mm -hmm. but beyond that, I don't, I mean, our kids have a great childhood. They, they are growing up with this huge uh, worldview, wildly different from other kids. You know, they, they get to know, they know what poverty is. They know what hunger is. They know what other cultures look like. They get to learn French, a few words of Arabic and some tribal languages where we live. Um, they learn how to be content with mud and sticks and entertaining themselves. It's true. They run around um, like little wild hoodlums on the compound. Yeah. <laughs> They, they learn that no you actually do have to wear underwear if you go outside we had this graduate <laughs> our first third year nursing students and we had some people from america visiting and you know our kids are running around the compound like they always are and we're sitting there next to each other and you know the president of our um from from california the, the kind of our, our big big our big boss, boss our big boss was sitting there and he kind of like points over there to the compound wall it's a big brick wall around and our how old was she? Three-year-old then? I think yeah, she was three. Yeah. She had climbed up by herself on top of the wall and was walking. Like you could see the sunset and she's like right in front of it. Along the silhouette was amazing. I it's, was like, oh, it's like man. a solid three meter wall. We are such bad like a parents. Three meter brick wall <laughs> walking along. I mean, I think it helps them develop. I mean, you know, they're very independent. Yeah. <laughs> we believe in free range parenting. <laughs> I mean, we do the best that we can, but we don't always succeed. <laughs> it's got to be tough <laughs> with everything that you're juggling. I think that's a that's a really nice kind of place to to finish. Not only you know um, talking about your kids, but looking at where the world is going from here on. People of faith and 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 otherwise cannot dispute that the world is is going crazy in so many different ways and forms. And for your children's generation and for the next generation to come, things are probably only gonna get more chaotic. And so having seen what you've seen, having gone through the sacrifice that you've gone through, uh, what would you want the next generation to learn from your experiences of resilience, of relying on faith, of being where you're called, of all those things? What would you want your children to learn and their generation? as they seek to make the world a better place, um, perhaps they'll take on your legacy or, or, or change the world in some other way. What message would you leave to them? I, I think it kind of all, I mean, after experiencing so much over there and different traveling around and seeing that all cultures, 
even though they're so vastly different in riches or poverty or culture, they're still the same. Like it's, mm. it's still so much the same. And I guess what I would like is for people to quit being selfish and to care about each other, um, you know, have a heart mm. for your neighbor and like think outside of yourself. That's amazing. That's like exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to just understand that the world is so big and yet so small. There, mm. There's stuff out there that you can't imagine uh, that suffers in ways that you can't imagine, but yet the world is so small. I mean, you're a plane trip away from finding people that, you know, that, that, that care and love and hurt just like you do it. So the world is really big and really small all at once. I mean, you might look at Africa and somebody visiting, which is why we like visitors to come over because it looks the same to us now. We've been there for so long. We see the same. I, I see what I need to do at work. I try and get it done, you know, do your tasks as they come. And then somebody from America comes over or a different country and they're like, wow, look at this place, look at this suffering. And honestly, though, it's the same in America and first world countries, like people think it's so much worse, but it's, there's just different ways of experiencing that. Like in Africa, they have their society there. They always have their brother next to them or different family members in, in first world countries, they're separated. So there's just different different ways of experiencing loneliness or suffering because, you know, it's just more separated. And so you don't always have somebody to rely on like they might have in, in Africa. And I, I think that we've just learned that kind of the world is the same all over. Yeah, but it seems that way. I mean, to my kids or to anybody else, I would say just uh, get out there, get outside of yourself and go find somebody someplace that's hurting where you can make a difference and just love them in whatever way you're capable of loving them. You don't have to go to Africa. You know, no. we travel 24 hours to get to Chad where we then take the bus ride. You don't have to go that far. You can start in your neighborhood. And there's so many different ways that you can get involved, which is um, why I like our church actually, is there's a lot of ways to get involved in the community right where you are. Yeah. Per, I mean, personally, our church puts a lot of emphasis on, on medical work and education work, which I love. That resonates with, with me and both of those kind of arms to reaching out to people, you know, but for, for every individual boy, especially right now in coronavirus lockdown, it's so easy to look at yourself and be focused on your own, your own situation or how the world relates to you in light of your problems. Mm -hmm. And I don't have any good solution or answer as to how to tell people to get outside of their own heads and to look at, at the world and the universe uh, from a different perspective. But uh, you know, start, start looking for ways that you can, I don't know, ways that you can just love the person next to you. Well, and we're at this very interesting point after 10 years, we feel so burned out, but at the same time, we're so incredibly passionate yet about what we do, the place we are, the thing that we feel, I mean, we feel we have a calling there. Um, and, and it's an interesting balance where we happen to be at this point in our lives, at this point in our careers, to feel burned out, but to still truly believe in what we're doing. But we've certainly been there. I mean, we both went through residency, medical school. Like I remember when I was in medical school, when we were in medical school and then even in residency, we used to um, read on Friday nights um, one of our friend's blogs that was in the mission field. And just get inspired by that. We didn't have time to do anything because we were just trying to survive, you know? So mm -hmm. um, I don't know, different people are at different 
points in their life and you can't always do what we can do. We're thankful to be able to do it, but you know, you can hope for the future too, if you're too busy in your jobs. But, but like she said, you know, back then we were just trying to survive and, and I think that may have been part of, part of our challenge. And I think it, everybody feels kind of like they're just trying to survive particularly, particularly right now, but to, you know, try to get out past that, try to get past surviving and try to get to, to where you can help, I don't know, help the people around you survive mm -hmm. and uh, don't be quite so insulated and insular. I can't speak to Australian culture, but American culture is very much so, you know, every person is an island unto themselves mm -hmm. uh, and everybody is independent. You, like the worst thing you can be is to be dependent on somebody else. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's okay to, to be interconnected with another person to build that sense of community. Now it sounds like we're bad mouthing, bad mouthing America. We love America. <laughs> we love America. Don't kick us out. <laughs> we have these amazing blue passports. Uh, yeah. No, but mm -hmm. I, I, at the same time, you know, there are parts of every culture that are better and, and worse. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. You know, it's been very powerful. I, I just remember the start of COVID, the instinctual response was for people to rush to the supermarket to buy toilet paper. So we had a toilet paper sh shortage. And I think that just encapsulates what you're describing here, right? Because people in times of panic and in times of need, in times of desperation, they think about what they need. But what you're describing is really an outward focus on the people that surround us. And yes, we may not have everything. We may not be able to achieve everything. We may not be able to provide for everything, but we have the peace that comes from a place knowing that there is someone bigger and greater that can provide that for us. That's a wrap on our latest episode of A Curious Christian. Make sure to follow and connect with us on Instagram at The Mission Collective or via our website themissioncollective.org. Whilst there, you can catch up on any of our episodes and also find out other things we are up to. Thanks for listening and hope you've been inspired to be a curious Christian.